It's a joy to be uh, just, just together with the people of God in the house of God. That's right, this is a movie theater, but it is the house of God this morning. And uh, let's remember that whenever you're tempted to kick your feet up in the new chairs and uh, take a little nod. I'm just kidding. Don't do that. Uh, let's, let's not go to sleep. Uh, I'll yell a little bit and so you can stay awake. Um, I'm kidding, kind of, but... I do sometimes get done, and they're like, wow, you yelled a lot today. I didn't realize it. But uh, so it is really great to see you here. We're, we're only a week and a half from the big day. Who's ready? Okay, like some of us. Who's still got a lot of shopping to do? Most of us. Excellent. Uh, we are about a week and a half away, and it's going to be incredible. I'm super excited. I have on one of my 12 pairs of Christmas socks. Uh, rocking those today. I took a picture with Santa, and I am excited uh, for Christmas coming up, and I'm sure you are too. We're in this series called Wonderful Anticipation, and we're talking about the spirit of Christmas as it relates to the four major themes of Advent. All right, the four major themes of Advent are peace, love, hope, and joy, and uh, not necessarily in that order. The order that we've actually been going in is uh, peace, love, and then today we're doing joy, and we'll come back next week and talk about hope. And so uh, that's what we've been talking about, and today we're going to be talking about the spirit of joy. Now, I feel like it's undeniable uh, that there, there is a certain spirit about this season, all right, there's a certain spirit about this entire holiday Christmas season. Uh, and, and, and let me just like personalize this a little bit because I think that each one of us has a spirit about us. Like we think about this, this spirit of Christmas and, and how incredible and amazing and just happy and joyous and fun and, and exciting that is. But I think each one of us has a spirit about us. And, and it's, it's not something that we often really think about or talk about, but, but when you encounter someone, the first thing that you encounter is their spirit. The first thing you notice, the first thing you see, the first thing you interact with is, is sort of their spirit. A little, and, and consciously or subconsciously, it has that, that first impression on you. Have you ever encountered someone whose spirit is not like the spirit of God, but maybe like some other spirit? Or maybe someone who has a proud spirit about them. Right, And you sort of feel, I don't know, like maybe unimportant in their presence. right? Or maybe uh, there are those people who have a, a humble spirit and, and you feel so relaxed uh, around them because they are so, they're, they're like so down to earth and you feel uh, important to them because of their humility. Maybe you know somebody who has that kind of spirit about them. We could, we could just all, this morning talk about all the different kinds of spirits, but can I suggest that one of the differentiating factors that ought to set us apart as Christ followers is the spirit of joy. That's one of the things that should immediately set us apart, that should, that should differentiate us from, from everyone else. And, and here's the deal. When I think, I, I, I just, I think this, when someone encounters someone who really, truly just uh, is, is joyful, the spirit of joy is in them, then I think when somebody encounters that person, they almost ought to think that that person is a Christian. They should really just, just go, go ahead and get their mind set there because that's the way it should be. But yet, that's not the state of affairs as we find them, right? It's, it's not always. Christians aren't always exuding the spirit of joy. And, 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 and in fact, uh, there, there are some church, 
traditions where, where stoicism is, is more of the thing that's celebrated than the actual act of, of joy, the actual, the actual actions that come behind the spirit of joy. Like, I don't know. I don't know if you've been to a church like this or if you've grown up in a church like this, but, but maybe there's, uh, there, there are churches like all over where, where you're not even, I mean, you just can't even exhibit emotion. Emotion's not even allowed. You can't even do it. That's just too much. That's over the top. And, and I'll be honest, I don't, I don't get that. You know, we say all the time here at Legacy City that, that church should be enjoyed, not endured. Yet there are Christians all over the place enduring church this morning. Hopefully they're not in this room. Hopefully you're enjoying what's happening. But, but that's, just the, that's just the way it is. That's what's happening. They're just seemingly these believers walking around. And maybe you know some of these. You don't have to look at them if they're in this room. And you don't have to nudge your, your, the person you came with because you both are thinking of the same person. But there are believers that, that, are seeming, that are walking around seemingly devoid of joy. Like you wouldn't know that they were a believer at all, except maybe they you know, help people and maybe they do some things, but they, there's no joy there. There's no, there's no visible spirit of joy in their life. And, and I just don't understand that because as I read the Bible, when you are, are truly in the presence of God, there is just this explosion of emotion, of, of humility, of joy, of all, of love. Like this just should explode out of us if you're truly meeting with the Lord. These emotions you can't even control, control or contain. And so I might just ask this, like right here at the outset of the message, right as we get into this, right as we begin, what is your spirit? Let me just present that to you and let you begin to think on that and mull over that as we, as we go through this this morning. What is your spirit? Not just for the holidays, mind you, like not just for this time, not just for the next week and a half until we hit Christmas, or maybe you're one of these that celebrates Christmas until New Year's, which is kind of what I do. The tree doesn't go down until after New Year's. And so for the next two and a half weeks, like I'm, that's not what I'm talking about. Not what is your holiday spirit, but all of the time, what is your spirit? What do people feel when they're in your presence? Maybe, maybe in practical terms, or, or let, me, let me put it in, in mathematical terms for you. Do you add joy or do you subtract joy? When people are around you, do you, do you, do you let's go beyond that. Do you multiply joy or do you divide joy? We can even like Marie Kondo your life for a second, right? If you, if you watch the show on Netflix, she's like this Japanese organization lady on Netflix. Um, do, do, do you actually uh, bring joy into the lives of others? If not, she would toss you out. That's what she does. She throws things away. What kind of spirit do you have? What kind of spirit do you have? And, and does your spirit convey the spirit of Christ, the spirit of joy that is in you? So that's what I want you to think on as we walk through this this morning. Because all of that is sort of setting the stage for the passage that we're going to study today. Isaiah chapter 61, you can turn there or follow along. It's going to be on the screen behind me in a few moments. And, uh, and we're going to read along with it in a moment. But in this passage, here's what you're going to see. Uh, you, you'll, you're going to see in the very first verse... This is really about the spirit of Jesus. Have you ever wondered like what it would be like to, to actually just 
to, to really have been in the presence of Jesus. You know, now I'm not saying that we're not as believers and, and walking with him and, and talking with him, but, but I'm talking about the actual, the actual people who are with Jesus, the disciples, Mary and, and Martha, Lazarus and his friends, the people who got to do life with him and walk alongside him. Like, like just hanging out with him and, and walking dirt paths with him, paths with him and, and, and being on, on, the, on, the, on the boat in the Sea of Galilee with him and, and, and just fishing with him. What would it have been like to be in the actual physical presence of Jesus? What spirit would have been conveyed, I wonder? How would he have related to you and how would he have presented himself to you? I, I think this passage comes just about as close as we can get to describing the spirit of Jesus. And so we're going to start this in, in verse 1. Isaiah 61, verse 1, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me. Okay, so there it is, right, right initially at the outset. The spirit of God was upon him in a way that was like absolutely unmistakable. Right? He's saying it right here immediately. The Spirit of God is upon me. And, and what does the Spirit look like? Here's what it says. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. Now, <clears throat> let me just pause for a second. Uh, this is not just poor in financial terms. All right, This is an all-inclusive word that, that, that it does incorporate like poor in financial terms and poor in, in, in possessions and, and that kind of thing. But, but it also speaks to those who are poor of circumstance. It also speaks to those who are poor of spirit. But, but, but what a, a powerful mantle Isaiah has given to bring the good news to the poor. You know what? This is our mantle as well. Church, this is our mantle as well. This is the mantle that we've been given. This is why we seek out the least, the last, and the lost. This is why our ministry focus so, focuses so heavily on, on, on the, the least of these because, uh, because those who are poor in circumstance and poor in spirit are the exact ones that God calls us to minister to. All right, th this, this, could be our, this could be our vision statement, church. Legacy City Church, anointed to bring good news to the poor. We could have just, we should have just done that. Guys, elders, are you in here? We should, we'll talk about that. We should have just done that. That, that, that's our, that, should be, that. that should be, as believers, that should be our mission statement. Notice he doesn't say uh, to bring his, his mission, his mantle, his, the thing that he's been given, uh, the actual uh, calling that God has placed on his life, his anointing, is not to bring the poor to church. Notice he doesn't say to wait for the poor to show up and then he ministers to them. The scriptures imply action. I, Isaiah, I, Robbie, I, Kate, I, I have been anointed. By who? Only by the God of all creation. I've been anointed by the God of all creation, the creator and sustainer of all life. Sovereign God Almighty has anointed me. And what does he want from me? To go, to move, to take the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ to the poor. And then he goes on. He has sent me uh, to bind up, I love this so much. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. 
Okay, so he's foreshadowing here the return uh, uh, from Babylonian exile for Israel. All right, that's one of the things that he's talking about. But even more so is, is this spiritual freedom from sin and shame. That's what he's laying out here. That's, that's what he's talking about, the brokenhearted, the captives, freeing those who are bound. Uh, verse 2, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn. I love this too. I love this whole passage. I'm just going to say it every time. I love this and I love this and I love this. I'll keep saying it. But, but notice the year, what, what was the year? Anybody? Anybody see it there? The year of the Lord's favor. The year of the Lord. And notice the word day. All right, we're talking about the year of the Lord's favor and we're talking about the day of vengeance. It's not the day of favor and the year of the Lord's vengeance. He didn't phrase it like that. He didn't word it in that order, but it's the opposite. Can we thank the Lord for that? It is the year of the Lord's favor, and the word year doesn't speak to a calendar year. We're not talking about 365, 64, 5-ish days. Uh, we're, we're, talking about, we're not talking about a calendar year in that way. We're talking about this, this open-ended era. We're talking about a new epic, a new era. This is the year, the time without end of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. The day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn. Verse 3, to grant to those who mourn in Zion. You might notice there's a unique emphasis given here to those who grieve. If, if you read verse 3, I just want to stop for a second because I think it would be an omission if I didn't say this. I know that there are some people who are grieving in here this morning. Maybe you've lost someone recently. Maybe this year or, or last. Maybe it's been a lot longer. But I know that there's, there's just something about the holidays that make it so difficult when you've, when you've lost somebody. And, and then the holidays come and then all those happy memories come back. And I know it gets really, really tough when you've had a grieving experience. But let me encourage you to take extra comfort in this passage at this time of year. It says to provide for those who grieve in Zion. It says to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes. The oil of gladness instead of mourning. And the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit. Come on, somebody. This is the Lord caring for us. This is the Lord. Who, who, does anybody in here want gladness instead of mourning today? Right? Who, who wants a beautiful headdress instead of ashes? Right? Like all of us. I, I think what this verse is saying is that, that there, is, there is no, I think what this verse is saying is there is no shallow joy. Okay? I want you to track with me on this. There's no shallow joy. Here's what I mean. This isn't Christmas morning when you, when you open up your gifts and you see that you got like that one thing that you really wanted. Okay, that is joyous. And, and I hope that you get what you want, right? I mean, we drop hints throughout the year and throughout the holidays so our families know what we want so that there will be this moment of joy if we get that thing. But I want you to hear me, church, that's a shallow joy. 
That is circumstantial and that is temporal. What we are talking about here is a joy that is on the far side of suffering. And that's a whole different kind of joy that defies the circumstances that you're in and that can only come from the joy giver himself, the creator and savior. I wonder if somebody could say amen so I don't feel like I'm the only one getting excited about the word of God this morning. Listen, this is such a beautiful, picturesque description of what the Lord wants to do for us and, and, and what this, this idea of the spirit of joy can bring about in our lives. And so let me describe what's happening here for a moment, if I can. Okay, when it speaks of ashes, do we still have that verse up? When it speaks to ashes, in Jewish tradition, when a person was in mourning, uh, they would literally cast ashes over their head as symbolism of the grieving that they were doing. But then it says, no. Instead of ashes, there will be a crown of beauty. This, this is an ornamental headdress. In the English tradition, maybe like a, a tiara might be the right word, if you, can, if you can imagine that, if you can think of that. This refers to, as we're reading through this and just studying back, I've found this idea that this refers to maybe the headdress of a bride as she walks down the aisle. We were talking about a crowning symbol of an incredibly, amazingly beautiful and joyous occasion. We're talking about a complete 180, right? To go from ashes to a beautiful headdress of a joyous occasion, from the depths of grieving to basically like the peak of celebrating. And then it says, the oil of gladness, or, or other translations use the word of the day, joy, the oil of joy. When, when, I don't know about you, but when people come over to our house during the holidays, uh, we serve holiday beverages. Like That's just kind of one of the things we do. We have hot chocolate. We have so much hot chocolate. If you want hot chocolate, come to my house. We have so much hot chocolate. We go to Costco. We stock up. We serve you know, maybe eggnog. That's not really my thing, but Jen likes it and some other people like it. Cider. I love cider. I think we're going to have cider here next Sunday, so come back. Check out some cider. It's going to be great just depends on the day, right? We serve these things. We, we have these festive cookies and, and we have Christmas cakes and we have holiday candies and, and you'll usually hear like Christmas music playing somewhere in the house. But in, in this culture, when people came over to have a little celebration, eggnog, not so much, but they would take a perfumed ointment. I don't think there were spray bottles. I'm not sure why I made that motion, but... <laughs> Same kind of idea, I guess. Uh, they, they, they would sprinkle perfume on you. Like, so one of the things that they did, that was their, their, their hospitality. Now, I know that sounds strange to us, sure. If you walk in somebody's house and they throw some essential oils at you, you'll feel a little weird about that. <laughs> like, I get it, that's cool, but no thanks. But that's what they did, and that was a gesture of hospitality. When you, when, when you were in a season of grieving or mourning, though, I want you to understand this. If you were in a season of grieving or mourning, there were no oils. Part of the rules and the regulations, if you will, were that they didn't put any perfumed ointment on you. And so, so we're saying the oil of gladness, the oil of joy, is going to, going to pour over you instead of mourning. You're in a, you're in a season of mourning, but we're going to 
take this oil of gladness and we're going to pour over you because this oil of gladness, this spirit of joy supersedes the morning that you're in. Then it says, garment of praise instead of a faint spirit. Or again, another translation might call it the spirit of despair. So as, as the Jewish people grieved, they wore sackcloth, right? Um, you know, like basically like drab, lifeless, colorless garments. All right, now that's not unlike the tradition that we have of wearing all black to a funeral. Um, it's kind of a similar concept, similar idea. But, but take that sackcloth, and Scripture says, turn it into a garment of praise. And it's this description of this colorful garment that symbolizes a joyous celebration. I like to think it's their version of a Christmas sweater. Like just an ugly Christmas sweater, colorful, bright, beautiful. That's what they're saying. We're going to take that sackcloth and we're going to turn it into a garment of praise. Right? And, 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 and what I'm saying is that I believe that God wants to do a 180 in your life. Maybe the things that you're grieving this year... God wants to take that grieving and turn it into rejoicing. He wants to take that mourning and turn it into a garment of praise. And you know what, church? He is the only one that can do that. Let's skip ahead. Verse 7. Instead of your shame, verse 7 says, instead of your shame, there shall be a double portion. Instead of dishonor, they shall rejoice in their lot. Therefore, in their land, they shall possess a double portion, and they shall have everlasting, say it with me, joy. I'm going to say it again. I love this verse. I don't know about you, but um, I usually feel like joy, as it, as it pertains to my emotions and my feelings, has a shelf life, right? Like, I wish it lasted longer, but, but it doesn't always last very long maybe a few hours, maybe a few days, very rarely a couple of weeks even. But what we're talking about is an everlasting joy that God wants to give us. And you know what? This is the spirit of Jesus. This is, this is who Jesus is. How, how can I say that? Well, some of you uh, might have recognized the words from verses 1 through 2. Uh, if you were reading very carefully and you were following along, and if you've done any reading in the New Testament, maybe those words sounded familiar, and, and you think maybe you've read or heard this before. Well, let me put it into context for you. These words were written by the prophet Isaiah in the 7th century B.C. It was a dark time. Prophets were few and far between, and Jerusalem was on the brink of destruction. Okay, I want you to understand what we're dealing with here. The Assyrians and then the Babylonians uh, would come, and they would take them captive. But in Isaiah 56 through 66 which is right, the, the span that our, our, verse, our chapter 61 is in, the prophet looks beyond the captivity to the return from exile. It, it, it's, it's a prophetic looking ahead. And, and this is what's so amazing. We are talking about things that wouldn't happen for 200 years. He's looking ahead more than 200. That's like someone during the Revolutionary War predicting all the things that would happen in 2010. 
right? That, that's what we're talking about here. That's what he's experienced, and that's what we're reading. And that's how far the prophet is looking forward and prophesying the return from exile and the restoration of Israel. But his words speak even further into the future than that. I hope you're still with me. We're going to get very practical in just a couple of minutes, I promise. But let me speak theologically for just a moment. There are prophecies in the Bible, uh, and, and some of them are just sort of your regular run-of-the-mill prophecies that are fulfilled once, and then they're done. But then there's this very unique category of prophecy that have dual fulfillment. It's almost like prophets have, like, double vision, right? And, and they see a fulfillment, but then there's a fulfillment beyond that. And so what happens is there is a historical and partial fulfillment in the event of circumstances of that prophecy, but then there's a spiritual and complete fulfillment at another time. And this is one of the prime examples of a dual fulfillment in scripture because Isaiah is speaking about the return from exile, but he's also speaking further than that. He's prophesying more than 700 years ahead and looking forward to the Messiah who will be the fulfillment of this prophecy. And this is the reason why some of you might have recognized these first few verses. Because when Jesus began his ministry, his very first sermon in Nazareth, he opened the scroll to these very words we just read. And then he quoted them. And he said, this prophecy is fulfilled right here and right now in me. No shades of gray there. Like he's being very blatant and very obvious. In other words, the prophet Isaiah was looking forward to me. I am the Messiah. I am the fulfillment. Like, I can't tell you, church, how profound this is to me. I'm thinking to myself, um, someone, someone actually mentioned to me uh, a, few, a few weeks ago, I think about one of the first sermons, the first sermon series I preached here at Legacy City not in the house, but after we officially launched here in the theater. And, uh, and they kind of brought it up and just, you know, reminisced on that for a second. And, and, and um, I, don't, I, don't, I don't really remember how it came up. But for some reason, what I remember about, about that day, uh, the first sermon series that we preached here at Legacy City, I remember that was up until probably, you know, 4.35 a.m. on Sunday morning, uh, definitely for those first, like, few weeks because I was so nervous and excited and, and we started this, uh, this first series, which, uh, you know, if, you're, if you're new with us, a series is just this collection of, of sermons that, uh, that we kind of put together with a similar title. And um, we started this series the week after launch day. So it was January 7th of 2018. Um, and there were, I remember, uh, at, well, I don't remember because I didn't remember. I had to look it up. There were 83 people here that weekend. And I thought, you know what, if this is a really good message then we got to have a good shot of keeping like maybe half of them around. And so I was really wanting to make sure that we, we nailed that so that we can keep like half the people. That would be good. We don't want to lose, you know, all the, all the people. And so uh, I remember that this was an important series, though, for me personally, uh, as God had really been speaking into me and transforming my thoughts and my, my, my heart over the, the previous year in, in this category. And so um, all of this leading up to the launch, and it was a series about God-sized dreams, and we called it Dare to Dream. Was anybody here for that? Anybody remember that series, Dare to Dream? Like, so maybe half of us? Cool. Um, so that was the first official sermon series at Legacy City Church. I remember, like, just pouring so much into that. So I want you to put yourself in Jesus' sandals. I was thinking about that as I was thinking about 
Jesus' first sermon and the fact that we're reading the text this morning that Jesus read for his very first sermon. This was his first sermon in his home church, his home synagogue. We, we don't think about this. We assume so much. But I want you to understand that he had the Old Testament, the whole, the entire Old Testament to choose from. He could have preached on anything. He could have taken one of the Psalms. He could have talked about David and Goliath or a story from Genesis or maybe one of the miracles that Elijah did. Or, or he could have preached about Moses in the burning bush or the exile from Israel. He could have chosen anything from the Old Testament, but he chooses Isaiah 61. Why? Can I tell you what I think? I have the mic, so I'm going <laughs> to. I think it's because it captures the heart of who Jesus was and what Jesus was all about. He was all about setting captives free. He was all about binding up the brokenhearted and taking those who were mourning and turning it into joy and setting prisoners free. He was all about proclaiming the favor of God. Come on, somebody, this is who our Jesus is. And by the way, I don't want to read like too much into this, but he quotes Isaiah 61. And do you know where he ends? In the middle of a sentence. He doesn't even get to the day of vengeance. He cuts out after the year of our Lord's favor. Listen, that is who Jesus was, and that is who Jesus is, and that is what we need to be about. That's why we push so hard that we are for people and, and, and for the city, because Jesus was for people wherever they were. That's why we partner with organizations like the Pathway House. It's an organization that seeks to free the homeless from their circumstances and help them move into a joy-filled life. That's why we partner with Young Life that tries to help uh, to show the love of Christ to lost and hurting teens. That's why we've been serving the Greenwood County uh, Foster Parents Association because they are doing some of the most unbelievably difficult work of caring for kids that are brokenhearted, that might feel lost or hurt or discouraged. They are living out the gospel every single day. And you know what I've realized? I've realized that most of us, just, just many of us, don't feel like we're in a place to be able to rescue captives like that. We just don't feel like that's our calling. We don't feel like that's our forte. We don't feel like that's our gifting. We don't feel like we're ready. We don't feel like we're experienced. We don't feel like we have the answers to be able to do it. We don't feel like we're in a place to begin to rescue captives like Jesus talks about. But I dare to suggest this morning, church, that that is the heartbeat of God. This idea, everything we're talking about, that is what Christ came to do. Like, don't get me wrong. I believe that the first thing he came to do was to set us free spiritually. All right, and that happens the moment we confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord and we believe with our hearts that God raised him from the dead. And the very first thing that God does is he sets us free from our sins, our spiritual captivity. We are set free and we become children of God, amen? But I think for a lot of us, it kind of stops right there. And what I'm suggesting is that it has to go further than that. This can't just be something that we talk about. This has to be something we do something about. So when we talk about the spirit of joy, the first thing that we need to understand is that we live out the spirit of joy. I know you're thinking he's only at point one. 
These will be fast, I promise. We live out the spirit of joy. If you've been around Legacy City for any length of time, you know that one of the things that we talk about very often is that we have been created to serve God and the city right here where we're planted. All right, we say a lot around here. One of our, one of our cultural phrases is that uh, we say, our city, our responsibility. And I truly believe this, that Christianity is not a noun. It's a verb. We're called to go. We're called to do. At the end of the day, no one is going to hear God say, well thought, my good and faithful servant. You know what? Well read, my good and faithful servant. No, what's he going to say? Well done. Well done. Go and do. So our job is to take these words and this spirit and figure out how to make it flesh. Right? We need, to, we need to take this and we need to flush it out in the world around us. We are the hands and the feet of Christ. So how do we take this and actually do something about it? I think this is what we are about here at Legacy City Church. We are about demonstrating our joy. We have the, the second Sunday serves, or sometimes the second Saturday serves, in the case of like the last two months, where we get to be a light in a sometimes very dark place in our city. And, and we get to tangibly serve people. We have opportunities to serve the Pathway House Mills and so many other things throughout the month. And, and, and here's the deal. We don't want to keep that joy bottled up. We want to sprinkle it all over everyone we come in contact with. We want to take this ointment of gladness and pour it over those around us. So here's what I want us to do. Um, like I said, we're, we're, we're wrapping up. We're, we're getting close. Uh, let's transition a little and look at a few instances of joy mentioned in the actual account of Christ's birth. So I got two for you. Uh, Matthew 2.10, when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. I'm going to say that again. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. There it is. This is, of course, talking about the wise men from the story of Jesus' birth. And they saw the star, and they knew what it meant the Savior had come. The Father had sent a gift to the world wrapped in swaddling clothes, and, and they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. I would be hard-pressed to find and, and, and point to a, a, a specific moment in my life, a time, where I would say that I rejoiced exceedingly with great joy that didn't involve a move of God. I don't think I can find one. Yeah, my team wins a championship or something. Okay, fine. I, I, I mean, I'm going to be happy. I don't think I'm rejoicing exceedingly with great joy. I don't think I can say that. If there's not a move, this is, this, this, come, this is a rare joy that cannot be contained. Paraphrased versions of the Bible even say uh, that they, talking about the wise men, they jumped for joy like little kids. <clears throat> you know what this gives me a picture of? And, and many of us are going to, some of us are going to experience it uh, this Christmas season is my kids running into the living room on Christmas morning, right? Their, their eyes are huge and their eyes just light up and they can hardly contain their excitement. They're, they're just so unbelievably excited at what's about to happen and what's about to go down. There's so much joy in their heart. And I'm just picturing the, 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 the wise men lighting up with joy in that way. This is just a glimpse 
of what the wise men probably felt when they realized that the greatest gift the world had ever received was not under a tree, but was actually lying in a manger. And this is the greatest discovery of their entire lives. They had finally found the Messiah. I want you to write down point number two. God gifts us the spirit of joy. Can I remind us just real quick this morning that true joy is found in one place in one place alone. And that is in the atoning work of Jesus Christ on the cross. That's where joy is found. That's where joy is poured out in an unbelievable and unmatched and incredible way. You don't have to change your circumstances. In fact, you can't change your circumstances sometimes, but you can change your focus. And the Bible says, fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith. And, and like I like to say this to myself and others, don't let what's wrong with you keep you from worshiping what's right with God. All right, I think that worship is the way that we take our focus off of ourselves and refocus on who God is and what he has done. And that means, and what that means to us as a result. And this is really, I believe, what Christmas is all about. It's the gift that the Father has given us in sending his Son. And then Jesus' life and work and atonement on the cross for our, for our sins. I hate to break the bad news to you. There's a good chance you might not get exactly what you want underneath the tree in about a week and a half. I mean, what you really want in your heart of hearts. You might get the one thing that you kind of put on your Amazon list, but the thing you really, really want. But let me just say this. If you kneel at the foot of the cross, you will get a gift unlike any gift ever offered. It's the gift of salvation the gift of sin forgiven. It's the gift of right relationship with your creator. It's the gift of eternal life. And, and if you don't get anything else, I think that you can get what you need and, and that will ultimately bring you the perfect joy and the saving gift of Jesus Christ. Another joyous place to look is Luke, Luke 2.10. So we looked, <clears throat> we looked at the wise men. Let's look at the shepherds in the nativity story. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good, noise, good news of great And that will be for all the people. You might know this already. I don't want to insult your intelligence. But just in case you don't, the word gospel literally means good news. So they're bringing the gospel of great joy. So what is the gospel? Some would say it's an idea. You don't have to say it's an idea, but thank you. Some would say it's, <laughs> that was pretty good. Some would say it's a philosophy. Oh, I thought I was going to follow up. Some would say it's a way of being. Some would say it's a way of living. But, but here's what I believe the gospel is a person. John 1 says the word was made flesh. The gospel is a person, and that person is Jesus. And when you encounter Jesus, there is a reaction within your soul, and happiness is simply not the right word to describe it. Happiness is a short-term contentment. Happiness is momentary. Happiness comes from the outside. Joy comes from the inside. Happiness comes because of your circumstances. Joy comes in spite of your circumstances. Joy actually comes from uh, the Greek word that means to be exceedingly glad. Does that sound familiar? There's that word exceedingly. Again, there is a difference between saying, I'm happy to see you today, and I'm exceedingly glad to see you today. There's a difference there. I want you to turn to your neighbor and say, I'm exceedingly glad to see you today. 
Hopefully you meant it because you're in a church, and I hope you're not lying to your neighbor. <clears throat> Here we go. Number three, <clears throat> the spirit of joy is experienced. Have you ever been on a treadmill or running out on the sidewalk or, you know, whatever, and you started to get tired, right? You start to tire out. For me, what happens is my shin splints kick in way before my lungs or my muscles decide to get fatigued. So I went to the gym a few weeks back, my one time for the quarter, <laughs> to justify me keeping my membership. So I went to the gym, and, uh, and I was running along on the treadmill. I was about a, a three-quarters of a mile, and my shin started aching. If you've never had shin splints, it basically uh, feels like uh, an immense amount of torque is being applied directly to your shin bone, and there is a very real and solid chance that it's just going to snap in half at any moment. It's an unbelievable, extremely painful thing to say the least. But I hadn't run in a while, and I didn't want to throw in the towel before I hit a mile. I wanted to push through. And so with a grimace of pain on my face and probably a little tear in the corner of my eye, I pushed through. And, and while running through, I feel like God reminded me something. I feel like God reminded me that deep, persistent, Abiding joy only comes by pushing through, by not quitting, but by journeying and seeking out the treasure that is in Christ, by experiencing the spirit of joy. Instead of hoping and praying that God will change your circumstances, church, seek and serve and seek to experience Christ in the midst of your circumstances. We see the angels show up. And the, epi- the, the, the shepherds are sitting right there in the middle of the field, and they're doing their thing, and they're with the animals and the angels. They show up, and they declare good news of great joy over them and all the people. They experienced a moment of great joy. And then they took that joy. They took that spirit of joy, and they acted on it. They lived it out. So whatever you're going into I don't know your Christmas season. I don't know your Christmas situation. But, but one piece of my heart in this message is this. Whatever you are stepping into, I want to declare God's good news over your life. I want to declare his spirit of joy over your heart and over your mind in Christ Jesus, that there might be a, a declaration of his goodness within your soul today. That, that you would know that you have experienced the spirit of joy because you've been in his presence. Because here's the deal, in a, in a hurting and dark and consumeristic world, we need some people to stand up and declare the joy of the Lord and to speak it into existence. So we'll get the band to come back up and, and just in, in our time remaining, just our, our last moment here, I want to close with one more thought on the original passage. Here's what I believe for each and every one of us. We're only a few weeks away from a new year, right? And here's what I believe. I believe that God wants to pour his favor out on Legacy City Church. I believe that God wants to pour his favor out on your life. God wants to single you out in a way that says, watch this. Look what I'm capable of. Look who I am. Watch the way as my servant lives in humility and walks in obedience and lives out the spirit of joy. You watch how I'm going to favor you. 
I believe that for each of you, church. So what does that look like? Let's go back to Isaiah 61, verse 7. We'll close with this verse. What does it look like when God pours his favor out on you? What does it look like when you're living out the spirit of joy? He just truly begins to pour his favor out on your life. Instead of your shame, there will be a double portion. Instead of dishonor, they shall rejoice in their lot. Therefore, in their land, they shall, they shall possess a double portion, and they shall have everlasting joy. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your goodness and for your grace that fills our hearts with joy. Lord, it's not because of anything we deserve, but it's because of your amazing, incredible, unbelievable grace that we have an everlasting joy, a joy unspeakable, a joy that can't be put into words, a joy that the world didn't give and the world can't take away. God, I pray that that joy would be our inheritance. I pray that for each one of us, no matter how difficult the circumstances we're in, I pray that the joy of the Lord would be our strength and I pray that we would stake claim to the inheritance that belongs to us as children of God. Lord, we settle for nothing less than that joy that only you can give. And right now we receive it. Not ignoring our circumstances, not in a way that minimizes any kind of pain or loss that we've experienced, but a joy that comprehends more on a daily basis of what you have accomplished for us on the cross. And for that, we joyfully give you thanks. In Jesus' name.